Episode of First Strike before we begin the show. We're gonna plug our sponsor, facefacegames.com, the number one place to get your magic of the gathering singles. Special Monday night episode, so there's no new weekly sale, but uh, you can take advantage of the old sale. Last day, go to facefacegames.com. Special episode tonight. We got Elliot, John, Derek, as usual, but uh, we got a very, very special guest tonight, someone who just won an MCQ. Someone who hails from Alberta, my man, Bosu. How's it going, my man? It's good, man. Feels good to, to qualify again. Quite nice. Quite nice. Really excited to hear you uh, come on because you're a man of uh, many good stories and also secretly, uh, not really secretly, but by far the best meme generator at the Face to Face Games HQ. A little more yes. back. <laughs> so you took it down let's get straight to the tournament a tournament that both Elliot and I also played me to a terrible 1-3 finish so we're not going to talk about that uh, Elliot had a decent start right Elliot yeah it was a 4-1 and I leveraged that into a 4-3 which is very nice <laughs> but Bosu, you, you had a great start uh, going I think you went Basically undefeated, right? Yeah, by basically undefeated, you mean undefeated. <laughs> no, undefeated. You know, I had the classic. I, I leveraged a 1-0 into a 2-0 and then a 3-0 and then 5-0 and then kind of a shady 6-0. And then I double drew into top 8 and I won the top. So I'm, I'm sure Elliot's going to ask me about the shady 6-0 at some point. But we'll talk about it a little bit later. Let's go straight to your deck choice then. Uh, what deck did you pick up and, and whose list or uh, how did you settle up on that final list? Uh, I picked up Esper Hero, uh, mostly because of some uh, social media tweetage from uh, VTCLA, who's a kind of a noted online grinder. He tweeted how good you know, Esper Hero was. I took his basic list and then I actually spent a lot of time checking out Ginger's stream randomly one day during the week. And checked out uh, what he was doing with Esper Hero, and then I decided I disliked everything he was doing. So I talked to Elliot, who gave me a completely opposite list from Ginger's list, and then uh, we just kind of went from there. A lot of tweaking, a lot of uh, changes based on a pretty interesting expected metagame there, which turned out to be correct. So, are there any of these uh, key differences that? That really comes to mind? Like any cards, important cards that you cut that, or you play that uh, these guys don't play? Yeah, you, like some of the big distinctions are, you know, whether you play Braska's Contempt, how many Sorens you want to play, how many Hostage Shakers, how many Deputy of Detention. And kind of at the very last minute, I made a bunch of changes, such as adding Deputy back to the main where previously was gone. And I also added a couple of Oath of Kaya's and, and Enter the God Eternals. Just because I expected a ton of mono red in the field and ended up being correct. I do want to credit Elliot a lot for helping me with just like, I think we spent Friday. He's nodding because I'm giving him a shout out. But we, we did spend a lot of Friday just discussing random card choices, which I do appreciate. So 
I do want to make it clear that I've given him no none of my prizing for his help, though. So that's the way it's been. <laughs> I did get a dinner invite, though, so I'm in. <laughs> uh, Elliot, Elliot uh, did you end up? So basically, you end up with the, the similar list then, registering basically the same thing, or? Yeah, I shipped my list to Bosu on the Friday night after we talked, like for a few hours on Thursday. Um, and interestingly, the, like we we had two lists that we kind of we talked about and sort of merged together on the Thursday night. And like one of the things we decided was like, well, we don't really want deputy, and you know, we don't really want big six drops in the sideboard. And we want to be like, you know, sort of a lean, lean, leaner mid range deck, more low to the ground. Uh, and then uh, I ended up playing a bunch on Friday, talking to Andy a bunch. Uh, we got a list from Derek that we thought was like super wild, crazy, but had like deputy in the main and two Lianas in the sideboard. Um, so then Andy and I kind of like consolidated that back with the list and uh, ended up with two deputies and two Lianas in the sideboard. Uh, and so then I shipped that to Bosu. I, I met up with him on Saturday and I asked him what he changed. And I think he, I don't know, maybe one or two cards off from what I had sent him was what he registered. He can maybe correct me if he remembers. Um, so it was like, I, I've, I claimed multiple times while playing in the tournament, even though I was doing a bit of losing, is that it's the most powerful fair deck I've ever played in standard. Uh, like decks like Rally and stuff, obviously, you know, way more powerful would crush this deck head to head. But, you know, some of the more powerful mid-range decks that have existed in standard, things like Abzan, things like... Um, you know, not maybe not quite as good as Teamer Energy, but Teamer Energy was sort of just way better than everything else at the same time. Um, but it's just it attacks on so many angles where you have a two drop and a three drop that can completely take over the game by themselves. And then on top of that, you have planeswalkers like Teferi, Ugin. You know, we ended up with Sideboard Lianas, some people play in the main deck, but the big planeswalkers can totally take over the game by themselves and really efficient removal as well. So uh, this deck kind of just does it all. And I think, you know, if you're not seriously considering this going forward in standard then you're probably making a mistake uh it does have some rough matchups like phoenix um so you know maybe maybe you don't end up playing esper hero but if it's not on your radar I, you're probably done so what do you attribute to uh, how close were your matches where you did lose um pretty much every match i lost was either to flutter screw which is a, I, like really a testament to the deck um you know going i talked about that sort of wacky list that derek was uh playing on friday and sent us part of the reasons we thought it was so wild is because it had four discovery dispersal in it um and we thought you know sort of spinning your wheels is not where you wanted to be with this deck because you could be so proactive but you know after playing in a big tournament and sort of getting on uh the worst end of rng a few times in the tournament which you know we'd kind of uh as it came up in testing, you know, you kind of dismiss it because it's bound to happen. But now that I've played in a larger tournament, seen how powerful the deck is when it's doing its thing, and just kind of realized the value of just doing the thing the deck does, um, I'm actually moving forward, looking to maybe put, maybe not four Discovery Dispersal, but, you know, start with two, maybe get up there. Uh, maybe I'm just not as big brain as Derek and supposed to be four. But just try to do something to have the deck function as much as possible, which it sounds really dumb. It sounds like every deck should do that. But like I won every single game, I didn't get Flutter screwed. So it sounds like all I have to do is mitigate that. 
you know? Posu, uh, heading into the top eight after logging all those wins, uh, do you feel the same way as Elliot about the deck? Do you think it's the most powerful fair deck that you've ever played, maybe? But uh, yeah, tell us, tell us how you felt about the deck. Uh, yeah, I, I mostly agree with Elliot. I think the deck is absurd because people don't realize how often you just get to hit people with Thief. And that just happens way more often than you think just looking at the deck and how it lines up against other people. But you just craft a, a, a strategy where that ends up happening because you either thought erasure them or they have to kill your hero on two. Um, <clears throat> some percentage of the time, the Thief gets unchecked. And as soon as you hit your opponent, once with a thief even it feels like you can't lose because you have drawn the best of the three cards that off the top of their deck and it gives you just so much gas and snowballs you so hard um i do kind of agree that you do need to hit your first four land drops and pretty much just kind of coast from there uh so i don't know that discovery dispersal is exactly what i want i would i would maybe consider something like an opt just so you still keep the curve a little bit lower and maybe keep the kind of almost the velocity of how impactful your plays are each turn pretty high because you're only losing that one mana every turn if you're digging for stuff, either a land or action. But I, I haven't thought much beyond that other than I think the other reason for the, for the deck being so good is that you can really customize the distribution of your cards between the main and the side for whatever metagame you expected. Like, like I said earlier, I expected a lot of mono red. I added a lot of good cards against Mono Red. And then every match, I think I sideboarded 8 to 10 cards, depending on player draw, and just felt great the entire time. So definitely a deck you would recommend to anyone with MCQs left, uh, left to play, obviously. Yeah, absolutely. If you have a good read on your metagame and you can decide things like how many Oath of Kaya you want to run versus what your removal distribution otherwise is and what your, your high end is, I think it's a great choice, and you can get very easily rewarded if you're right about your metagame predictions. So I'm already getting some fans that are uh, messaging me and telling me how happy that some of you had disagreements with Misplaced Ginger. It's about time someone put him in his place, this uh, arrogant man, <laughs> and uh, get a lot of that. But, but it's hard to argue. It's hard to argue with Derek, even though like well, we've had some fans that, again, listeners that – don't like how arrogant and confident he is on some of his takes, but scoreboard. Derek's always been, have that scoreboard going for him. And this past weekend, once again, putting up those results, Derek, tell us about your weekend. Well, uh, after I, uh, I did a little streaming last week and, and thought about the deck some more, I really went into the big uh, think tank and uh, ended up coming second in another Magic Online PTQ, which is my third Magic Online PTQ loss, finals loss in the past year and a half, and my fourth PTQ finals loss in the past year and a half. Um, I lost to JMM, who I found out is a Pro Tour winner. They won their first Pro Tour they ever played, and they've only played six Pro Tours. And they're also qualified for the Magic Online Championship Series with me this weekend. So it's going to be a, an interesting event. Uh, I don't know if they'll bring that up or what, but I'll get to see the person that just straight up crushed me in the final. They were on uh, Blue Red Phoenix. And I just, like, I didn't play Phoenix all week. 
I didn't play it in the PTQ at all. I played Monterey a bunch. I played the Mirror a bit. And then I, I think I played uh, like uh, White Aggro. And Phoenix, I think, is very well positioned right now. But I think the fact that it's, uh, it's well positioned now means that it might not be well positioned for this weekend because I know personally uh, I'm going to try my hardest to find a way to beat it. I hope everybody else is also. Um, and it could also just be another flash in the pan. But yeah. That happened. And then uh, Sunday, I went 7-1 in the modern Mox qualifier with Phoenix after losing round one to uh, blue-white control. Um, part of it was because I just don't understand how cards work. And New Teferi kind of sewered me a bit. If you check out my Twitter, you'll see it there. But yeah, um, I don't know, scoreboard, like... All the haters out there saying that my decks are bad, but like I'm putting up results. Where are you? I, I would like to say that top eighting moto PTQs is harder than top eighting real life PTQs. Um, they're actually one of the hardest events to top eight. They're they're nine round. You have moto grinders. I lost the finals to a pro tour winner who's also queued for the mocks. Like this competition is tough. Like if if you wanna if you wanna come out here, like tweet at me at misplaced ginger. Find me on Facebook. Find me on Instagram. Find me on Moto. Even like I've had people smack talk me on Moto. Let's go. You know. Can you uh, can you give out your address, please? Because I'd like to find you IRL, please. Yeah, um, I live in Montreal. My name is Brian. I don't know your last name. I work at Face to Face Games Montreal. I got really lucky and won a PTQ last weekend. With a, a poorly built Esper Hero deck. Field oh must boy. have been soft. How was the PTQ? How many people showed up? 162 players. Do you have a metagame breakdown? No, but I'm going to break it down tonight. I actually got break the deck. It down. They just, uh, Randy Bueller just literally tweeted the, the mocks percentages and the percentages on my end are bad and i have the third most uh matches played out of all the 24 players and the other two are kenji samura and i think it's kenji samura and uh uh who what's his name dimitri budakov those are the only two other people that have more matches played than me yeah, which is just wild. Just absolutely wild. I'm I'm bad at magic. I'm cut. I'm also 15th. They placed me 15th out of everybody. So, like, I'm an underdog. I'm, like, slightly below 50%. Unreal. <laughs> that was in standard. You're actually 21st overall. Oh, really? Yeah. I'm, I'm way low, below 50%. I'm not going to get any camera time. Come on. Yeah, you're pretty wrecked, dude. I don't know. Is Rich Hagan part of the, the coverage team? I mean, you're going to get camera time if he's, he's part of it. Does that, do you know? Do you, like, <laughs> yeah, it's, uh, it's, it's Randy and Athena who's running it. Um, and I think I think it's the same. Like they're the ones that run the modern Super League and everything. So I assume it's going to be them doing it out of the Wizards' office. But I'm not entirely sure. 
Um, but I don't think Hagon or like Sutcliffe or anybody else is going to really be there. There's like an entire like other table that I didn't even notice. Now I just get to sewer myself some more. Like, all my stats are so bad. <laughs> yeah, this this list is just all murderers. <laughs> yeah. They're all like if you just read off the list, they're all just insane. Like just the name players, Andrew Backstrom, Antonio Dell, Morel Leon, one a pro tour. Autumn Burchett won a pro tour. Um, Pascal Maynard, top 82 PTs. Dmitry Budakov won last year. Um, Jean Moritz Merkel won a pro tour. Uh, Kenji Samura, very good player. Ken- Kenji Igashira, New Montanami, insane moto grinder. Logan Nettles, gold pro. Um, he, he's queued the mocks before. Marcio Carvalho has multiple top eights. Um, and that's just like the name players that you know. The other ones that are on here are also just insane moto grinders that you would recognize if you just looked at the list, right? It's okay. I think, you're, I think you're a heavy underdog because your favorite TV show is Clone High. You don't like Clone High? Uh, it's not. It's far from favorite. What are you talking about? It's like one of the best TV shows to ever come out. It's only one season. If you're if you're at home right now and you haven't watched Clone High, go go read the Wikipedia page, get the synopsis, and watch it. It's so good. It's it's just like like you can't write it. It's good. You oh. <laughs> literally did write it, and it wasn't that good. You just don't understand comedy. Jonathan actually points out something else. Your favorite card is a Chroma Angel of Wrath. Can you explain that? Spike standard grinder Derek Pipe. When I first started playing Magic in grade four, um, it was right after Scourge came out. And so the lore was like something we really paid attention to. And everybody just really wanted the biggest creature possible. And so I bought a I bought a uh onslaught fat pack and like read the book and a chroma. They literally had like two pages dedicated to a chroma about how great she was. And, and then she was, like, in the reanimator deck. I don't know if it was standard or extended at that point. Um, and it was just, like, it was just the best card. Like, most of the lore was focused around her. She had the most abilities. She was a cool angel. I don't know. It was a really cool card. Do you think you have the leg up in the lore competition against your Mox competitors? Uh, maybe. I don't know. I can't read, so I have to. I have to do things with pictures. So it's possible that they have read the lore where I've just looked at the photos. So these story spotlight cards are really helping you understand the lore, then. <laughs> yeah, I like the ones with the the shiny thing in the text box. Makes me not have to focus on the words. Can you also talk about how your favorite music is non-existent on this sheet? Is that just yeah, I can't, I can't remember what I put. I think I put like Southwest Emo or Midwest Emo. That's what I put. But it's fine. I don't want to talk about music anyways. 
shout out, shout out to Andre Gerard, my man, sending me a message. Elliot, shit talking clone high. Someone stabbed him. Shows a masterpiece. Um, Ginger, heading into uh, this weekend for for other people that are, that have other MCQs, where should they be? Where, where do, what do you recommend? I think Esprit Hero is is very good. I think um, objectively, it's the best deck. I think Red is also good if um, if you can pick your metagame well and build the deck correctly. Um, I think the Phoenix deck is good, but for a very small amount of time. I don't know what that time frame is. Um, I don't think it's broken. I don't think it's the best deck in the format, but I think it could win a couple more events, and it dominated last weekend. I think Esper controls on the way out, so I wouldn't really play that. I think Bant is just a flash in the pan. wasn't very good. Um, so I'd probably be on Esper Hero or Mono Red, but I don't like playing Mono Red, so Esper Hero. Uh, I'm just going to go through... What I played really quick before uh, asking John's experience, I played Christian Hawk's model red that he posted on his Twitter. Someone actually won with the same list and guide in, in China, I think, John. And uh, I went 1-3, but faced, lost to three mirrors where it was honestly really close, where I had him at two with, with Experiment Frenzy, and, and they had Experiment Frenzy, and I was at 10, and they were able to kill me. It came down to really close stuff like that, so I thought the list was, was great. I thought the, the guy that he had was was very good, all, all his choices, and he has like almost every matchup that relevant matchup in the format. And other people have put great results with that similar list. So unless I have time to, to put in some time with, with Esper Heroes, I wouldn't be afraid to, to run it back despite the results. But uh, John, your list, your list did really well this past weekend. Yeah, so... Uh... I, I released the battle plan for the red um, uh, for the pa- uh, first strike Patreons last week because uh, through testing, like I had like a, I went like sixteen and four, or twenty and five, or something like that. And you know, I'm a I'm a very crummy standard player, and the fact that I could do so well in standard that really raised alarm bells. So uh, unintentionally, uh, a bunch of people um, was asking me for my list on my uh, my sideboard plan from Vancouver. Uh, so uh, I. I managed to recruit maybe like five, six people into my red, uh, red, uh, red deck wins cult for the Seattle Mox boarding house, um, PTQ. And, uh, I think we collectively went, let's see, we collectively went 70% win rate, except for you, um, uh, car, cause you didn't play my list. So, uh, you deserve that one. Uh, but otherwise we went like 34 and 12 collectively, including, uh, Sebastian LaChance, I think, which is, uh, who's, uh, Chris Strike uh, Patreon, who top eight is, shout out to him, and uh, my friend Marcus Thibault, who actually won the um, Seattle uh, PTQ uh, with Monored. So um, it, it was a it was a pretty good weekend for uh, my my red list and uh, my my battle guide my battle plan guide for first first strike nation. Were there any anything uh, any card choices that you view differently after after the weekend? Yeah, like so. For those who don't, who doesn't know here, the Seattle metagame was pretty weird here. Um, we had a bunch of Just Guy Super Friends and Super Friends decks in general. We had two Just Guy Super Friends in the uh, in the top eight, along with Blue White Control, uh, Phoenix, Bandit Range, and two Esper Heroes. And uh, yeah, I think I think the t- uh, list is pretty tight here. The 
the changes I might make is, you know, maybe bring in one or two treasure map because treasure map one dodges the spark and uh, what is it called? Mortify. Uh, two, it works well with frenzy and keeping your frenzy turns going. And three, like maybe it'll allow you to, you know, play a bane fire, which may or may not be correct. I don't know, but I, I like it as a uh, off the radar uh, grind card that's different from frenzy, which, which is an enchantment, or uh, Chandra, which is a uh, planeswalker. Otherwise, I'd play a bit more War Boss than Risk Factor because the Super Friends decks are uh, rising and Future Threats are much better against um, Narset, which completely shuts down uh, Risk Factor and Dovin, Dovin um, Hand of Control, which also taxes all the spells. So, uh, yeah, just in sum, maybe add, maybe add a treasure map or two and uh, play more War Bosses than uh, Risk Factor. And otherwise, like, the deck was great. It ran like a well-oiled machine. I really like the fact that it's resilient and it can play any role that you want, like control, aggro, mid-range, or just combo people out in one turn. So, yeah, the deck felt good. So as a whole, here uh, this panel recommends that you play Esper Heroes or Mono Red. So let's go back to Bosu. Uh, tell us about the Shady, the Shady Round, the Shady Win. Let's break it down. And let's okay. see if we okay. all find it Shady. Okay, so obviously I have to preclude this with the fact that my account is very biased, but I'm going to try to be as open about it as possible. It was round five, my opponent, who was a very nice French man, who was also 5-0. We went to time in game three, and my board was an Ugin, a Lily, two heroes, like three 1-1 tokens, a zombie token, and I think a fee for sanity against his very empty board, which was just I think a deputy and a Vivian, and an incubation druid had two or three cards in hand. It was my turn five. I asked him to concede, uh, and at the time, because we had both played an extremely long round, I basically said some variant of the statement, I think a draw is bad for both of us. It's like a loss for both of us. Now, keep in mind, this is an eight-round tournament. We were both 5-0. Uh, so I said that to try to convince him that, like, because of my superior board position, he should concede to me. But I was—I also said that, like, it's fine if you don't concede, but like, obviously I'd be happier if you didn't concede. And he did think about it for a while, and then he ended up conceding. And then everyone else afterwards came up to me and basically said, why did you say that? That's actually not true. Uh, but at the time, I did believe it. And then they ex explained to my horribly stupid brain that, a draw for both of us still kept us both alive, uh, which made me feel extremely bad. Because obviously, like, I'm not the kind of guy to try to mislead my opponent. Hopefully, people know that. But I did go to the judge, and I asked them if they could change the result of the match because I felt like I misled my opponent. And they told me I couldn't. So I then went up to my opponent, and I apologized, and I had a discussion with him. And he said some variant of he said he thought that what I said was still was actually incorrect, but he decided to concede to me anyways uh, because I was ahead. Uh, he did have two flash creatures that would have stabilized him a little bit, but he also said that, for example, uh, he would have probably lost in the end anyways if, if we had gone further in the round. So I've asked a bunch of my friends because when I'm in a match of magic, I can get a little intense and they have told me that I can. I was intimidating the guy, but to me, I wasn't trying to intimidate him. But I don't know how to not intimidate people in that spot. 
the the analogy. Oh, sorry, Derek. Did you want to say something? So so let me get this straight. You were both five zero. Yes. It was an eight round event. Yes. X one makes it in anyways. Yeah, this is just how math works. Yeah, a, well, yeah, a, yeah. A loss is actually better. Like, if somebody wins and somebody loses, that's better than you both taking a draw. Right. Oh, but the thing is, like, my my statement that a loss or a draw for both of us is like a loss for both of us was incorrect, as explained to me by people around me. So, it's regardless, I I did not quite understand the situation properly, and I'm told that I intimidated the guy a little bit. But I don't know how to not intimidate people. Yeah, like some people have told me it's fine. Some people have called me scum. Like I, 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 I did talk to the guy afterwards. We're we're cool, Derek. We're we're cool. He's a very nice man. He stuck around to the end, and we we you know we talked. And I I have posthumously not having offered him anything. I did give him some of my prizing because I did still feel bad about the whole situation. Because after he conceded to me. He then lost his next round, and then he did not make the topic. So, uh, my friend Alex has described the situation as me being a dumb good guy, as opposed to being a smart bad guy in trying to like mind game or really trick my opponent into conceding. But it's still not an ideal situation, and it does kind of mar my super nice weekend otherwise. So, I don't even what... think like. I don't know. It's, it was a weird spot. It was a weird spot. I mean, I feel weird asking my opponent to concede normally, but like, I don't think there's anything wrong with asking. I don't think what you did was wrong, and I don't think that if you were intimidating your opponent, it was wrong. The fact that you also went up, apologized, and gave like split your prize with him or whatever just means that you had the best intentions in mind, right? Yeah, to but, me, there's no issue. Yeah, but, you know, like, uh, to me, like, I've been in the scene for a very long time, and I, th I think that reputation is the most important thing a Magic player can have, and especially in light of, uh, I don't know, I'm sure you guys have gone over some recent events quite a bit, so we don't need to rehash them, but I'm very cognizant of the optics of situations and how they're interpreted by the masses and the long-term effects those have on people and I don't want to call what I have a career because I'm not a serious magic. Like I'm not trying to make competitive magic my first and foremost job anymore, but I am like very mindful of my position in the community and I value, I value that position a lot. So that's why I like went a little overboard in making sure that like everything was on the up and up and hopefully it's okay. Yeah. I, I understand that. I agree that trying to be, a good person and having a good like persona is good for people. But, but at the same time, like people are going to throw dirt on your name, no matter what, like, I don't think I'm a bad person. And I think a lot of people call me arrogant or say that I come off pretty, pretty bad sometimes, but I, I would think that they just don't know me that well. And like, maybe I come off arrogant sometimes, but I, I think you have to be confident in your, in your ability to like, to know what you're doing is right and make sure that you keep doing right. And like, as long as you're in that mindset, it doesn't exactly matter who's telling you, but well, whatever. I mean, if, if you feel bad about it, like keep trying to do good things to fix it, but I don't see anything wrong with this situation. Well, thank you. I appreciate that.
Elliot or John, any takes from you guys? Yeah, I just want to say that if uh, Bosu pointed his camera any lower, we'd see the slime dripping off him onto the floor. <laughs> Super sketchball maneuver. <laughs> okay, I'm just kidding. I think it's like actually totally reasonable. Um, I think it's definitely something that doesn't happen enough is um, asking for concessions in positions like that. I know that, uh, you know, this is maybe a bit of a dated reference, but a lot of people will remember the uh, incident with Andrea Mangucci at, um, I think it was Battle for Zendikar. That pro tour where in his winning in, you know, they, they ended up focusing on the camera on him for like two minutes while he was asking his opponent to concede because it was the last round and a win locked one of them for top eight and a draw was putting them both in top 16. And it was a situation where they were both teammates. He was 100% to win the game on the next turn and his opponent like, didn't want to concede to get his friend into top eight. And it was super awkward to watch, but like as a competitive player, when I was watching it and, you know, I've talked about it with friends since like, it's a hundred percent reasonable to ask for a concession there because you're going to win the game. If it would play out now, does that mean you should be like pressuring people and expecting a concession? No, hundred percent not, but I think it's totally reasonable to ask. And I feel like it's something that's definitely stigmatized against um, as you know, Bosu's talking about how he feels awkward and shitty about it, um, and people have been giving him, uh, giving him, you know, uh, telling him he was kind of scummy for it, as I joked about. But I think that there's nothing wrong with asking. There's nothing wrong with telling your opponent what you believe to be true. And um, I think that the easiest fix for it is just not go to time and play faster. Uh, but as long as people go to time. And as long as the Duelist Convocation International isn't punishing them with a game loss for going to time, then I think it's reasonable to ask for a concession. Anything else? Uh, John, you want to chime in? John number two? <laughs> Nothing much for me. I think it's John fine to ask as long as you're not intending to mislead, and I think it's fine to decline. Like, I don't think it, it goes anything further past that for me. All right. Um... I just checked out because Pascal posted on his Facebook. I think, I guess the trailer for the mocks just got released and by Athena Frolik. And uh, man, I, she, she's quite a grinder because I didn't know that uh, until a few weeks ago that she was editing uh, Daniel Negreanu's vlogs also. So she's putting in the work and uh, the trailer looks awesome. Sadly, the, it's all these featured players and none of them or uh, none of them is the misplaced gender is not in the trailer. So I'm sad, but uh, P mains in there. So uh, pretty happy. Um, so let's, let's go to some of the bigger news, huge news today. And what started a lot of Twitter talk, but actually let's just finish off with the mocks. Uh, Derek, how much do you know about the mocks heading into the weekend? Uh, I, Oh, I know a lot more now. Um, we, I have a, I have a group chat with Pascal, uh, Maynard, and two others from that are queued from the box. And we were talking this week, and uh, at some point, I didn't know like when decklists were due, what time we had to be there Friday, that sort of thing. And and we had a series of different emails from different um, email senders. So one of them was Magic Esports. One of them was from, uh, I think it's David McDarby. And then we have them from the, the DECs, which are the, the Magic Online help people. And 
So I'm searching through my emails looking for all this info and the mocks got moved and they're sending us all these emails, asking us questions. I just couldn't find it. And like uh, somebody else had like sent me the, the title of the email and I eventually found it, but it, it was just sort of, like, sort of confusing. We know they haven't been hyping it up. Um, last couple of years, like I know the mocks was sort of a focal point for what uh, like what's happening online magic and with arena it sort of shifted. So it's, it's uh, I, I know, I know a lot more now than I did. And maybe that's just cause like I wasn't looking hard enough, but it was also a little confusing and rather annoying in general, but everything's good now where I, I know when I have to submit my deck list, which is important. <laughs> Uh, the big news today is a good friend of mine in the Magic community um, had a chance to, to hang out with him multiple times. Favorite Magic player of a lot of people, very popular. Jerry Thompson decided to resign from the MPL, the Magic Pro League. He has a post on the gamepodcast.com detailing why he made this decision. Um, you should definitely check it out. It's called Why I Quit the Magic Pro League. I'll just read uh, a few sentences. Uh, too long to read. I joined the Magic Pro League in the first place because it seemed easier to make a difference from the inside. I was wrong. The lack of transparency and unwillingness to listen to feedback continued to be huge issues. And inside, he talks about uh, contractual issues, such as not being able to be signed by esports organizations or have deals with them, some structural issues, and how lots of communication, communication still lacking. Nobody knows how to qualify for the MPL in 2020. And I know that's an issue for a lot of people in the MPL now who just don't know from a career standpoint, if they're, if they're doing this for a living, like how are they, should they be putting themselves in a good position to qualify for next year, but they don't know how they don't know if they're still going to pick the top 32 players next year. So this uncertainty is very troubling for, for a lot of people that I know. And I was not surprised that I was not all that surprised that Jerry decided to resign today. Um, it's just something that uh, just like how he protested worlds, he always sticks to his guns and sticks to what he believes in. Um, Elliot, what was your initial reaction? Uh, I was, I w- to be honest, I wasn't surprised. I mean, having someone uh, resign from the impel was a little bit shocking, but once Jerry posted his reasoning, I, I, you know, I definitely agree with him that uh, the MPL is being mishandled. I think that um, with how fast Arena grew, I think a lot of the decision-making process by Watsi was sort of rushed forward, and they made, you know, I think a lot of mistakes along the way. Um, I also think that it seems like once they finished making those decisions, they kind of sat on their hands, as as we've seen, you know, filling their spots with you know, two people from the top of the Invitational after claiming the Invitational was not linked in any way to the uh, any other pro circuit, I think is a little awkward. Um, you know, not to say that the two people that are joining those spots, who is Sho and uh, Jessica Estefan, are uh, totally unqualified in any way. Obviously, they're, they're two very great Magic players. Um, are they the absolutely most qualified Magic players? I don't know, it's, it's, but I would, I would hope that they were, would be some sort of 
decision-making process that makes it feel like this isn't a last-minute thing. Like someone at some point during the planning process for the MPL said, well, what if someone leaves? And it, for me, looking at what's happened, it, it feels like that just hasn't happened. It feels like they thought that these 32 MPL players are going to love it. They're going to do anything we ask them. They're going to take our $75,000 a year and be our puppets and you know, clap when we say clap and play magic when we say play magic. Um, and I think it's really powerful that Jerry is leaving. I think that it will hopefully be a wake-up call for Wizards. And I hope that you know, the next year the MPL is only you know, better and bigger and greater. I've seen you know, a lot of feedback posted that is you know, pretty constructive given the circumstances on Twitter. I've obviously seen a lot of uh, reactions that can only be described as backlash as well. Uh, but I, you know, there was a, a really well-written piece by Willie Adel, who was formerly an advisor for them, a pro player advisor. So um, he had a really great laid out plan for restructuring the MPL. And, you know, I can only hope that either someone at Watsi is taking that seriously or uh, is taking a good hard look at how they've structured the MPL and looking to restructure it, because I think it's clear that this isn't working. And I think that Watsi has no obligation to really stick to their guns here. And I think that they should change if it's not working and it's not working. Posted, yeah. Do you have any cold takes? <laughs> Buddy, are you ready for an old man to yell at a cloud? <laughs> yeah, yeah, I am. All years. Most, like, I, I do respect Jerry a lot for giving up so much equity that he could just be free rolling for a matter of principle. Like, if you think about all of the actual dollar amounts he's giving up, plus possible future equity in terms of sponsorships and opportunities with Watsi as a member of the MPL and everything that comes with it, he's giving up such a huge amount of money. And I do agree with a lot of people in terms of like how their takes on how this MPL is going is, is going in a bad direction and they don't like it. But at the same time, I, I've just been playing Magic forever and I come from an era when there was literally zero dollars in this game whatsoever. And you would have the exact same grind, but now I just look and see all these people with these opportunities. And you are correct in that certain things are being handled poorly. But you have to remember, this is completely new. It, it reminds me of, I can't remember which comedian who was talking about how, you know, he was on a flight and there was some, they had just introduced uh, airplane Wi-Fi and then it went down and somebody immediately complained. Like, this is very similar to me in that, you know, we just got the MPL and we've had nonstop disasters from Watsi before, but the very act that they're, they seem to be trying as incompetently as they are trying, the attempt is worth it because this is, I can only imagine how challenging this is given the sudden departure of two MPL members and then another disaster strikes all of a sudden. And Elliot is absolutely right. There's, there's no way they've planned this contingency whatsoever. So they're clearly just scrambling to get something together. And to me, that speaks to a lack of leadership and a lack of organization, which should not excuse them for it. But you, you can't really uh, punish them too hard for, for trying something so difficult and, and complex at the same time. John, John, you want to chime in? 
Yeah, I do agree with Brian here. Like, it's this is a new undertaking. It's unprecedented. Arena has gone so much better, I think, than expectation here. Remember, like, half a year ago, everyone's like, oh, what was this? Artifacts going to take over. Magic is dead, et cetera, et cetera. And look where we are now, like, half a year later, right? Like, it, things can change on a dime here. But that, that being said, we shouldn't take anything for granted. Certainly, like, the, their undertaking is new. This is like there's not a lot like I, I don't believe there's anything like that's uh, comparable in other esports and whatnot. And I respect the work that they have to do, and I respect the um, the difficulty and the the challenges of like facing these new uh, structuring these new um, uh, the league and all that. But I don't know. Like I, I still don't think you can ex- kind of like excuse them, them for their lack of trying or their foresight or organization, considering their track record of consistently missing the point or you know just like that that um the will the advisory board that Willie Ada was on where the pro tourists were advising them on uh, on these issues like I believe it, it got dissolved right now and no one no one really knew that and I feel like they really they need they need, they need to do something to like, improve this because I think we have a good thing going here. Like Arena's like doing well and it's becoming more and more visible on Twitch. There's these like weekly fandom legends um uh tournament there's like I think magic is just grow- the pie is growing bigger and bigger, and we just really need to know like manage it and organize it well. And you know that includes like just defining the scope of the MPL. Is it for the highest level competition? Is it for entertainment? Is it for um, for promotion? Like like who knows, right? Because the Mythic Invitational was clearly a promotional event, so people really had no right for to be upset when these like streamers, ra- random streamers, are invited. Whereas the MPL, we, we don't know what the scope and the objective of the league is. So I really want them to define that. I really want them to to really like define a process of how organized play is shaping up to be. Are there paths to be a professional or earn a semi-respectable living with uh, with Magic? Because like a lot of the the a lot of the enfranchised players, formerly uh, enfranchised players, are getting more disenchanted. So. That that's what I want from them, and I like definitely think the pie is getting bigger. We just need to like take advantage of it. Yeah, we had uh, Lucas. That you relate to you relate to a lot, John. You say you uh, Lucas Bertude, right? He he wrote a very uh, emotional letter, sort of tweet. Yeah, like Lucas Esper Berto was one of my uh, the favorite uh, writers because one he I can relate to him because like I have like a, a, a similar blue collar demanding regular job like he works in law I work in finance but we still find time to you know like play this like children's card game that we all love and put time into it and we all make content not for the money because we need it but because for the love of the game and for uh, as a creative outlet and to see him like basically like like his will was broken or his passion was sucked out like that, that was very disheartening to me and uh if people didn't realize didn't see like lucas Esperberto basically said hey i'm unsure about these uh the direction of organized play and i, I can't write anything when i'm not passionate about it so i'm just not going to write out anymore for the time being and uh, yeah that was pretty disheartening and one of the most retweeted tweet was by Reed Duke. Of all my work in MTG, the most thankless has been the long hours of studying alone and the hundreds of events have played to disappointing results. I hope it will always be a priority to reward people who devote themselves to magic purely for self-improvement and love of the game. And here to wrap up the panel a little, Derek, let's hear your thoughts on the whole thing. 
Um, I guess I am definitely surprised that Jerry withdrew, but at the same time, given his his explanation, I'm not surprised. I don't know, Jerry, Jerry in magic and in life always does things that I think are very odd from my outlook, but then when he explains them, it makes a lot more sense. Um, I don't know if I would ever do that from my position, even if I believe the same thing he does. And I, I like to think that I do. Um, generally, the way he explained it is, I think, something we should all also believe in, trying to make it better and trying to have a focus on what the MPL is and what professional magic should be in the future. I have friends in the MPL. I, we all do, sort of thing. Um, I I think obviously it's it's a very big decision, but he also just didn't go to world, so I I don't I don't know if it's outside his range or anything. Um, good on him for standing up for what he believes in. I think I think that's just such a huge jump that I, I don't know if I'd be able to ever do it. As for the invite of Jess and uh, Savich, I think that's how you say it. I don't know. I'm sorry if I, I said it wrong. Pronounced ceviche. Okay, I'll just, I'll just. Can you just say it whenever I, whenever I need somebody to say, it, I'll just point to you, and you can say it. Ceviche. Yeah. Okay. Sweet. Okay. Well, one ceviche is a soup, and wasn't it show? It's it's ceviche. It's not show at all. Show is the other guy that came sure? from Hearthstone. Hundred percent. It's the guy who who taught for. Did he taught for uh, the MI? Yeah, he did. Okay, cool. Um, uh, I don't like to speak in the way people deserve things or don't deserve things, but uh, I I think that uh, Spur- I read part of Sperling's article recently came out, uh, like literally maybe a couple hours ago, and there, there's like a there's definitely something you have to discuss, which is merit or whether people earn it. Um, as somebody who doesn't believe in some people who deserve things, I've worked very, very hard to get to my position and I still have long ways to go. Uh, and like a, a lot of people just might not understand that, but like I play a lot of magic to be good at magic. Um, I think this is a slap in the face to a lot of people who have played a lot of magic to get good at magic, to get in a position like platinum and they just don't get anything back from it. They don't have any idea what's going on in the future. And it's not really that I care about their actual positioning. Like, I don't care. Like, don't invest your time and money into magic if it's about the money for you. Because invest your time in something better. Like, I don't know, be a doctor, be an engineer. Like, maybe I'm privileged when I say something like that. But but I'm sorry. It seems to me that if you're playing magic for the money or for the, the clout, like, you should be doing something else. I think it's just straight up disrespectful, which probably would bother me the most. Um, and I think that if I want to have faith in a company such as wizards to, to really handle this game well, and I, and I want to believe that they can, I think they need to show us a bit more respect. Um, and at, at no point is it about the money At no point is it about the sort of fame or whatever for me, maybe a little bit, not, not as much as it used to. It's just about being respected as a person and being shown that uh, my place is is a cool thing to have, and they respect that. Um, I think this has been a shift. When I talk about D. Root and Gabe Sang, 
they want a pro tour. Like I have the utmost respect for them. They reached the pinnacle of the game. And me and Carr have talked about this before, top eight a GP. Like I used to respect players that did that. Now everybody but me has a GP top eight. And I don't want to talk down on that accomplishment, but there's definitely a disconnect from what I think used to be uh, like a higher echelon in magic and what is now. Um, and I think this, this wizard's sort of miscommunication really, really stomps on that a lot. Yeah, I mean, it's Robert Lombardi, GP champion, Robert Anderson, GP champion, all meaningless at this point. Meaningless. Means nothing. Um, Elliot, uh, what was... What did, you, did you want to add something? Yeah, I just wanted to say that, you know, Magic is, is shifting from its old model of having just pro tours and a pro players club uh, and rebranding itself as an esport. Uh, and it's entering the esports scene in a way that no other game has handled. Every other game has created the framework for a league and said, you know, build your teams and come to us. Every, you know, you look at Counter-Strike Global Offensive and they, you know, they hold qualifiers that lead determines to have something like 16 teams and Valve has nothing to do with any of those teams. You, uh, League of Legends, the exact same thing. You have eight teams per region and Riot Games has nothing to do with any of those teams. It's teams like Cloud9, and Team Liquid and stuff like that, which, you know, we've seen them move into the MTG space. But, you know, again, we've learned, you know, today part of this is maybe the MPL contracts. But, you know, Team Liquid isn't sponsoring any MPL players. It's Wizards that had to go out and set the criteria for the MPL players and while creating the league to balance it around them, which is a really weird way to do it. You know, if you were to, you know, flip it around and take magic from the approach of, a traditional esport, you'd have Team Liquid go out and sign Brad Nelson, and Team Liquid would get a spot via Brad Nelson in the MPL. And that's just not the way we're doing it. So it's like an extra layer of stress on them. And then we're, we're seeing like the typical growing pains of esports. We're seeing, you know, bad contracts for players. You know, unfortunately, it's the MPL contract this time, but these sort of like predatory contracts for players were super common in, in League of Legends, Dota, CSGO years and years ago when they were just growing. And, you know, you see every esport growing had some sort of cheating ring, some sort of match fixing. It, it happened in almost every single esport. And now we're seeing cheating at the highest level in Magic still centered around the MPL. It's just all of this stuff has been done before and Wizards is somehow not learning from it. They didn't think that, you know, let's get... Cloud9, Team Liquid, CLG, TSM, uh, you know, Envious. Let's get all these esports teams to get players. They went out and did it themselves, which I think is pretty brain-boggling. But, you know, hopefully that they realize as they're moving into the esports space, just copy what's being done. It's been done, you know, a d dozens of times across all these games. And, you know, some of them more successful than others, but just copy what's being done. Let the team sign the players. I want to. I want to ask Elliot personally. Do you think that that as um, sort of a business model, or as a even just as a growth sort of model for MTG Arena? Do you think that's feasible as Wizards to just tell these third-party companies to invest in this game when they have no stake and no stock in the game up to this point? Like, to me, uh, I don't know if I could believe that Arena would be worth 
building a team or recruiting people until there was already a groundwork laid for what Magic the Gathering can do or what sort of eyes it can bring in or what sort of um, advertisement it can give, sort of speak, right? Because that's all, that's all this is about is just getting people to watch and getting people to see and having investment opportunities and money and blah, blah, blah. So to me, I think maybe in a couple of years, that's what can happen. But right now that that's really difficult, but that's why I'm asking you, like, do you think that that's a feasible thing to happen? I mean, Fortnite within months of coming out had a pro scene. PUBG within months of coming out had a pro scene. And those are sort of the two biggest games we've seen released in the past year that I can think of right now in terms of growing an eSport. Um, you know, Overwatch was within, I would say, a year and a half of when it came out. Blizzard had completely structured the Overwatch Pro League. Um, and the MPL was, was not the predecessor to Arena. Arena came out, had the huge boom, and... You know, as the MPL was formed, people were speculating, is this rushed because of the growth of Arena? When, you know, if we were to hit rewind and handle this from the beginning and I was in charge of this, you know, I would see the boom from Arena and then start structuring the MPL and inviting teams to join. And, you know, this is something where you, you make an announcement and you reach out to the teams and you say, we need, you know, maybe you host a qualifier for the MPL, maybe you... um tell people to just do what they want and then have a qualifier from the 50 teams that apply or something like that. But really like the, the place for arena to attract investors was set up by the time the MPL started. So I think that, you know, it's, it's not really the case of, you know, arena is our new product come invest, you know, you'll see it later. It's going to be great. We knew Arena was great. We knew Arena was getting a lot of eyes on Magic. And, you know, Wizards still kind of passed up the traditional routes that esports have taken. Yeah. Um, I think the real question is what energy drink do Magic players all consume in copious amounts? Because I need to know if we're a Red Bull esport or a Monster <laughs> esport or a Ball esport or I don't know, like Oz. <laughs> Can, can we can we get an MPL banner where it's just a picture of Reed Duke and who are you? And he's shotgunning four locos. Who are you? And this is how we get money into the game. It's all about the drinks. This is why Jerry quit. There wasn't enough monster energy drinks being <laughs> around at these events. Okay, I, the, part of the reason I'm not as down on all of these changes recently is that I hope that Watsi is making these decisions based on market data. That is showing them that their decisions, while unpopular with possibly a large group of entrenched and enfranchised players, is becoming popular with a group of new upcoming new players who aren't married to all these old standards and protocols that we're all used to at this point. And that we, for some amount of, of just take for granted that, as, that this is normal and somehow optimal because that's what we're used to. Like... Elliot's absolutely right. Like this is a completely new realm in terms of magic as an esport. So, like, really, why do we believe that the old way of doing things is in any way the optimum way of doing things going forward? It's just, it's just something that we're familiar and comfortable and happy about because it speaks to what we are used to to some extent, right? So, like, I, I see this largely as a lot of growing pains, and I'm looking forward to hopefully decisions that 
increase the amount of outside money being invested into the game. Now, like obviously my comment about Red Bull or Monster is a little bit facetious, but if you look at other esports, like that's where you get the money from is these ridiculous sponsorships from something that is like, you know, it's not directly related to the product, but it is, it is some sort of peripheral. And if you think about who has sponsored teams so far, it's just being, you know, ultra pro ultimate cards, like these people that make peripherals, but there's got to be something more than just sleeves and deck boxes in terms of outside sponsorships. Wearing Adidas will make you a better magic player. I'm confident in it. Sponsor me. <laughs> hey, maybe we're all going to work. Do you guys remember Gunners? Does anybody know what I'm talking about? Am I mega old? Those like, like yellowed visors for esports players that like reduce the screen glare. Now you're going to get like a, like a Liliana visor or something that's like the chain. I mean, comes you are pretty old, but I, I do know what you're talking about. Yeah, like, why not? Like, I'm, I'm wearing the chain veil. I've got my gunners on. I'm chugging a four loco. Like, this is the future of esports. Welcome to 2020. Uh-huh. Mm. Do, you have, do you have a gaming chair that's in the is it colors? Okay, see, like, that sounds ridiculous, but why is it so bad to have just, like, ridiculous paraphernalia? Because that is where all the money is at. They already have uh, arena sleeves that you can purchase. If that's not, like, esports, I don't know what it is. Yeah, like, I want it whenever I play a Carnage Tyrant in paper, I gotta hit a button on my phone, and it plays the Carnage Tyrant sound effect from MTG Arena when it comes into play, or something ridiculous like that. So I guarantee you somebody will pay for that. And they will pay too much for that. Can I get a $12 premium arena avatar of Teferi wearing a Nike hat? Is that the future of arena? I just, I just love how unhappy Derek's face is right now. It's just like, hashtag sellout, hashtag sponsored. Elliot, curious question. Uh, who would you have invited for, for the, uh, the slots? Would you have taken time? Would you have like done it the same day? Like, oh, we got to announce it because Jerry's resigning. Let's replace him the same day. Uh, what do you think you would have done? Well, I can only imagine that uh, Jerry, you know, probably approached them about resigning like more than a week ago, kind of thing. Um, and you know, I did. I didn't read like exactly the metric they used to choose who they did. I think it had something to do with the most pro points since the most recent PT or someone like that. Um, maybe the most mythic points, I guess that would make more sense. Uh, and I think that's like a pretty good metric. I think that uh, it's really hard to know off the top of my head who I would invite instead. A lot of people were saying, you know, um, I forget the was it Javier Dominguez? No. Someone was like 34th or something and got passed up during the original MPL. Uh, there was like a few people that, you know, Andre Strasky was mentioned. Uh, the most recent pro tour winner was mentioned as like people who are valid. And I don't think there's really like too much that could go wrong. There's like six, seven, eight people that are reasonable choices. And I think that, you know, if they pick a metric, then I think it's totally reasonable. <laughs> What? Are you crying? <laughs> What's going on? Who's <laughs> crying? 
No, I'm reading chat. Somebody said that wasn't the metric, if I recall. Somebody else said, yeah, I think he's making this up. And I just, I'd expect anybody on the cast to say that, but the fact that other people are saying it means that Elliot could just entirely be making this up to sound smart. I mean, I think those two people are only in the chat because Bosu's here, so take what they have at a grain of salt. <laughs> Who's Bosu? <laughs> who, who is Bosu? Um, listening to to what you Elliot and, and Bosu had to say was, uh, yeah, I do wonder. Like, I'm I'm wish to be like Bosu and believe they have some marketing research that made them think they had to go this path to build up uh, the league and and competitive play themselves before uh, outside sponsors would be willing to jump in. I'm I'm hoping that's the case, um, but I can see Elliot's point that there was indication that this was a, a big thing already. Um, okay, let's just finish the show with the last topic. Uh, the Another hot topic over the weekend on Twitter was when uh, <laughs> Simon Gertson replied to Saffron Olive. Saffron Olive uh, tweeted out, I like the match pro league, but it would be more entertaining if rather than incentivizing boring tier deck Thanks to a massive prize of a buy into day two of a Mythic Championship, incentivized more interesting and fun decks somehow. To which Simon replied, how about we show some respect for the humans that make up the MPL and for what they've accomplished to get there? The best competitive match players in the world being sponsored doesn't make them gladiators or circus animals that exist only to entertain the insatiable masses. And then there was very, very vocal and split. Uh, it was split somewhere vocal that Simon was being disrespectful. And then you had some people like LSV tweeting out and reply, you're gas. Um, and people are for what Simon was trying to say in his reply. And to that, what, what are you saying on that, uh, Bosu? What's, what's your cold take? Why are you just preempting all of my takes as being cold? I don't understand what this like blatant prejudice is. Regardless, I do have a very cold take. So, like I, to me, this just illustrates the very obvious decision between whether or not you're a Saffron Olive fan or not. Like, I have a lot of respect for the guy. I am not his target audience, and he is not the target audience for the MPL. I would argue that his his audience is also not really the target for the MPL. I also, on some level, I just feel like he's disregarding the mathematical incentives that are involved in the whole organization of the MPL. Like, there's so much opportunity cost for these people who are contractually obligated to perform the best they can at this high level of competition. And they're just, again, like, I hate to bring it back to just dollars, but at a certain point, you have to pay your bills. And if you are deciding to be wacky or different or fun, you are giving up literal dollars to do so if you are trying to compete against other people who are, you know, gunning for more W's than you. So, like, I'm very clearly on the Simon Gertzen side of this thing, but I, I can't speak to Saffron Olive. Uh, his, his position is valid from his perspective, right? That's just the world he's in but it is not applicable to how you should manage the MPL in, in any way. Unless we're, we're full on going for diversity, which is also fine. That's a slightly different off-kilter topic. Wow. I think your position is exactly how I feel. Um, Elliot? Uh, 
Uh, what's the question? I'm answering chat, sorry. <laughs> <laughs> How do you feel about the whole Simon Grutzen and Safranol uh, debate? I think that if you want to have some sort of scenario where the MPL players are playing for fun decks, then it has to be completely separate from the MPL league play. Um, I think it's totally reasonable to maybe host an event where uh, there's some deck building constriction restriction, or maybe you tell the MPL players, you know, we're going to have a singleton event or something like that. Um, but I don't think it's reasonable to expect MPL players to show up for their uh, weekly matches playing, I don't know, Jeskai Super Friends or, uh, I don't know, some sort of blue-green Kiora deck that tries to play big fatties for you know, not not more value than than as advertised. Um, you know, you're not going to have them playing for fun decks when there's so much on the line for them. Um, and I think I don't know if it to, to me it's disrespectful to request that. I think it would be like very cool to see how MPL players approach a singleton format. Um, and you know, any of these four fun formats like that we've talked about in the past. You know, when it came up of a popper GP, you know. People said Popper would get ruined if pros just tried to break it. So I think it would actually be really cool if, you know, the next time there's a singleton format, you told the MPL players, try to break it. Try to make the best singleton deck you can. And that's just, you know, one example. We've seen a bunch of four fun formats on Arena already uh, in their rotating formats. And I think maybe it would be cool one week in the MPL you, you use one of those formats. Should it be every week? Should every week be a, a wacky format? Probably not. There's a reason you're showcasing the best players in the game. We want to see the best magic played. Um, but is it offensive to suggest it? I don't think so. Okay. Anything uh, Anything more from you guys? John and Derek, before we wrap up? Uh, I think that Saffron should just like watch a Commander Super League. Like, Isn't there YouTube videos about Commander? Like, I don't, I don't know why he's coming for the MPL when it's very obvious they're all spiky players playing for thousands of dollars. This is this, like, I'm with Simon completely here. It's just like, it's very rude of him to say that. Like if somebody was throwing money at you and you just walked away from it, like, I mean, I guess we have somebody who has done that now, but uh, I, I think that Saffron is a little, little out to lunch on what he's talking about. And that's simply because he, isn't a spiky player, I guess. I, I don't know. Yeah, just a little, little bit, bit of me uh, from me here. Like, I think Saffron Olives is, a, he's not my cup of tea. Oh, sorry, he's not, his like, stream is not like what I like to watch. But um, I think his, um, his uh, suggestion is reasonable. I think Simon's response is reasonable, except I, I think it was a bit too strong. I'm like, what? It's like, what would that come from? The thing is, like, we, we got to define what the MPL is for, whether it's the highest level of play, whether it's uh, promoting the players, etc. And the thing is, I wouldn't mind if they do, like, a wacky, you know, here's one week of, like, restricted play, like, no tier one decks or you can't play XYZ cards and whatnot. Because, like, I would love to see Canister, you know, go to the brew, brew lab or, uh, you know, like, Matt Nass try to break a standard combo uh, by, like, working in the under, underground cabal or whatever and just, like, like see what they come up with how are they brewing how do they think and watching canister like play the neuroform deck for example or you know bbd playing the what is it called the heinous anus deck or whatnot that's like totally not tier one but it's still funny and it's, it's still really cool like i think there's like valuing like promoting and like showcasing your personalities like that so 
I don't think the suggestion is the worst. How you want to execute it is another question. But yeah, I think I think his response was a bit over the top. But I pretty much get where they're all coming from. But I like to see them like do something with the personalities. Bosu, you got something else? Yeah, I just I, like this is actually a perfect segue from Jonathan's point, and uh, hopefully it's okay if I bring up another game again. But you know, one of the one of the things I do is I watch a lot of coverage of other esports, and one of my favorites is is Dota. And one of the production companies that do coverage, like they are known for extremely good coverage, not just in terms of purely just you know casting the games and organizing tournaments, but they are very good at humanizing and adding flavor to their players. Like the pro players in those established esports are not just, you know, like the, there's a big meme about how every esports portrait is just, you know, uh, some guy standing with his, his arms crossed in front of a dark background and there's like some serious look on his face. This is everywhere, but, you know, one, one of the more recent uh, Beyond the Summit tournaments, they were sponsored by, for example, Sennheiser headphones. And in order to show how strong and durable the headphones were, they had their pro players throw headphones at monitors and they would gain points based on how many monitors they were able to knock over. Like just chucking headphones as hard as possible at monitors. And they just obviously everybody had a blast just destroying computer equipment. Like there's other ways besides purely playing magic to, to kind of humanize your MPL players and add a lot of flavor to their personality other than, well, here's, you know, this person playing mono red against Esper again. Let's just literally just watch the coverage and then interview them about the matchup afterwards. You can, you can do random interesting things to, to let people showcase their personalities if that is what you want to do. And if that's the direction you want to go. Hopefully they do because I find nonsense incredibly entertaining. But nowadays it's all just, you know, very dry, and I'm not a huge fan of it, but hopefully one day. I actually don't really want to end the call because uh, Jennifer Cross just entered the chat recently. Shout-outs to her always coming in and, and listening in in, uh, in the shadows and sometimes actually typing. There are a lot of Bosu fans, and uh, Bosu was right before the show that uh, there's a significant increase of viewers with his presence so I have to concede that point. I do have to concede that you are bringing in the Albertans and, and all the other Bosu fans across the country. And I thank you for that, <laughs> my man. Um, man, I'm, I guess we're all on the same page about the whole situation. I loved uh, reading how everyone had the, the sports analogies in the thread about like, oh, it'd be the same. It's like arguing for people playing hockey with pink rollerblades or something like that. And, and definitely a very interesting thread to read through. Okay, one more. Oh, yeah, actually one thing. John, let's go to you, John. We had some, uh, some modern, drop some modern knowledge before we go. What have you been seeing in the streets of Moto? I haven't I haven't been back at the uh, underground dojo for a while, but um, there is a lot of blue white, and there is a lot of planeswalkers. Narset is taking over. Tarn is taking over. I think I think the uh, the power level of blue white in modern has gone materially up. I think Narset just like shuts down a lot of decks. It's very main deckable, and uh, baby Teferi as well. It just like uh, breaks control mirrors, which I think is great. 
So like a well-tuned uh, blue white list, I think um, could be good, especially in a small field like the mocks, for example. I haven't really paid attention to it or what I like what I would expect out of the meta, but I wouldn't be surprised if people play blue white. And the other thing is the uh, car and the great great creator. I think it's going to be a legitimate uh, multi-format all-star, and it's already becoming a, a staple in Tron uh, main decks as well as like. Uh, Lantern, for example, or uh, Mono, uh, sorry, War Prison or Monora Prison with the Chalice and the Blood Moon. I think that are, that card is super powerful. It adds it adds uh, so much, uh, so many more avenues of play and winning the game with the uh, Lattice as well. So, like people said, this might be one of the most impactful uh, modern uh, sets like for in forever, if not period. And I really do agree. There's a lot of playable cards out there and. It's gonna take a while for the metagame to adjust to war. So, in the, in the meantime, I, I just give Blue White a try. I think it's very good. You did share an interesting list in the chat in our first strike chat from Budakov. Oh, yeah. So Budakov noted uh, uh, Moto Grinder seven one the mocks with uh, my, one of my favorite decks of all time, uh, Turials Mate, um, with no new cards, just kind of turn two people every game. So. Uh, I'm pretty sure Budakov can uh, seven one or uh, win with a ham sandwich. We <laughs> see uh, him win with a pure stove paladin. So shout out to him. All right. <laughs> um, both of you, uh, we're, we're gonna call it a show. Uh, anyone you want to thank? Anything you want to? Last thing you want to say? I just want to shout out. Uh, well, I guess you're gonna shout out our sponsors, but. Uh... <laughs> I guess there's like a blatant plug. People who don't know, I actually work for Face Face Games as well. So this is just like a pure, like I think we have to add hashtag sponsored now to the stream if we haven't done it already. Uh, I do want to shout out to Jonathan Zhang though. Like I really enjoyed your takes. I listened to Derek and unfortunately listened to Elliot before, but I really like your takes. And next GP we're both at together, we should try to wear the same thing and cosplay as each other. I think that's really, really good. Oh, yeah, let's coordinate. I'm totally down. <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> too good, too good. Actually, you guys got to do, like, a Mandarin, uh, <laughs> like, you know, the, the commentary, Mandarin commentary, once, once, if they do the Mythic Invitational again. Uh, anything for uh, last words for you, Elliot? Uh, I just wanted to point out, I wrote in the chat, Bosu cosplayed as a hero of Precinct 1 over the weekend. You can see it in all of the pictures face-to-face -face posted. Um, so make sure that if you're serious about winning a tournament, you do it in a cosplay. It'll help improve your skill. <laughs> and Derek, good luck this weekend. Thank you. I'm uh, really looking forward to it. Um, I'm obviously a pretty big underdog. I think they placed me 21st out of 24th of the players in the event. So uh, we'll see what happens, but I'm ready to crush some, some grinders. I think you'll do just fine. I think you'll hold your own. And uh, for, for everyone to support the show, just make sure to like, subscribe to the YouTube channel. There's more content coming in from the YouTube channel. I've got more people to do cues um, for the channel. Um, that's the Face to Face Games YouTube channel. Uh, Andy, from the show, from the First Strike show, did a whole queue with Is It Phoenix, 
magical 5-0 uh, with the deck that's won the last two MCQs. So you definitely want to check that out if you want to see how the deck runs. And for anyone who wants to support First Strike itself, the podcast, you can go to patreon.com slash First Strike. With that, we will see you next week or maybe we'll do another episode uh, this week. Going to coordinate with Marcus Thibault and coordinate with Sean Dollywall. If I pronounce his name correctly, the, the detective, uh, he said he has a sore throat after top eating Madison. So there might not be another, another episode. So with that, thank you so much both for coming on and uh, we will talk to you next time. Ciao.